Welcome back to episode number 149 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is part two of an episode on analyzing electrostatic ignition sources after an explosion with uh, A.L. Sadok, international expert in electrostatic discharge and associated risks and hazards. Um, those of you that listened to last week's episode will know that we had intended on talking a lot about electrostatic ignition sources and electrostatic discharge and really ended up being a, a quite a good discussion on incident investigation getting all the way through the points to evaluating whether or not electrostatic discharge was the ignition scenario. And we decided to, to kind of leave it off there, ask some questions around those points, and then come back on the second episode of the podcast. So those of you that tune in will know that uh, AL graduated from physics and from electrical at Tel Aviv University, electrical engineering at Tel Aviv College in the 70s, and went on to have a pretty lengthy career in this area of electrostatic discharge, static electricity hazards, uh, he started off as managing the Israel Raphael, I think is the name of the the group there, uh, Raymond Development Authority, with the um, defense industries there, on this idea of electrostatic discharge. And he gave some of his background in the last episode. So, Al, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast again today um, to, to discuss this topic. We appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to continue. Yeah, last week then on the podcast, or just a few moments ago, if you're Al and myself who, who already went through this, we talked through sort of a, a lecture or a short course on incident investigation. Al gave us a, a nine-step, an eight-step process. Um, step one is learning and acquaintance. Step two is collecting of the properties of the processing materials. Step three is loss history and failures. Step four is to visit the area where the incident occurred. Step five is to interview with witnesses. Step six is to record data from the facility or figure out what data is recorded from the facility and collect that. Step seven is comparative analysis. This is where you start to put together the story or the incident sequence that you're you're looking at. And then step eight is really a gap analysis of that incident sequence. So you have all the information. We have the witness statements. We have the facility itself, what shape it's in after the explosion. We'd like to have what shape it's in before, but... The explosion happened, so we, we got what we got. This last step then is really a gap analysis. Okay, we believe this is what occurred. What gaps are there in the story? Is there anything that's counterintuitive or counterindicative of what we're thinking happened? Any of the, the data points come out and show against that. Um, and then that leaves us into what I believe is step nine, and I think five steps into evaluating whether or not it's a electrostatic ignition source that was the the likely initiating process for the, the explosion. That's where we're going to jump into today. So yeah, I think the best way to go through this is to talk through the five steps. Then we're going to use this plastic silo. I think it was a polyethylene storage silo or some sort of some sort of plastic storage pellets as an example that we talked about in last week's episode. This was a comment that came into the Dust Safety Academy, and Yale put a lot of good points on that we're sort of using as a base case. So. I guess jumping right in then, what are the five extra steps onto our incident investigation for electrostatic discharge? So for me, it's not an extra, it's the it's the main. <laughs> but uh, okay, the first uh, step is uh, after I concluded in what uh, equipment and what nature the uh, what was the event. You know, I can focus on the, this equipment and look inside and uh, analyze the electrostatic forces that uh, could uh, uh, take place in the equipment. 
in order to identify the conditions for the accumulations of electrostatic charges in the process, in the, in the chemical or in the, the plant process, uh, materials and uh, in the parts of the equipment. Those are uh, the performing an electrostatic calculations and estimate the electrostatic charge density and the electrical potential that uh, the materials and the uh, equipment parts may uh, uh, gain. This, this uh, step is uh, very uh, preliminary step that gives the, the base from the next steps. It means that uh, having the, the values of uh, uh, electrostatic uh, uh, charge density is very uh, crucial to understand the other uh, uh, steps that are needed from an electrostatic point of view. And uh, the, other, the, the next step is to identify the types of electrostatic discharges that physically possible within the equipment. It means that if the equipment is, uh, uh, has the volume of uh, half uh, cubic meter, it means that uh, it's, it's not like a silo of uh, 60 uh, cubic meters. It's, it's uh, another type of equipment and the electrostatic uh, uh, discharges that could happen in the, those, those, those two uh, equipment, uh, part of the equipment are quite different. So identifying the type of the electrostatic discharges uh, based on the, of course, facility configuration, as I said, uh, on the electrostatic charge density and the electrical potentials that uh, might accumulate uh, in the human. And uh, such electrostatic discharge could be a spark discharge, a conic discharge, a blast discharge, propagation, a propagating blast discharge, and um, so we have to, to choose and how we choose. First of all, let's say if the, uh, the whole facility is made of plastic materials and the process uh, materials are uh, from, electrostatic, uh, from an electrical point of view are insulated materials, there could uh, spark discharge is excluded. On the other side, if there is a part of the facility is made of plastic, part of it made of metal, and these parts are very close to each other, it could be some kind of blast discharge. So a very brief description, I give you the, 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 the options to choose. Now the next the next uh, step is uh, energetic analysis of the available electrostatic discharge uh, that is based on the construction of the facility on the process uh, conditions and and of course electrostatic calculations 
And the aim is to identify points of electrostatic potential failure. I call it potential failure. Uh, Professor Kletz liked the, this uh, term, potential failure. And identifying the most dominant failure point in the process. This is the, I said, the, the punchline of the, the first two steps. The energetic analysis means that it's to uh, make X on those uh, discharges that energetically could not be generated there. Or the, or the, or the uh, uh, energy that these discharges could uh, generate is uh, too small to initiate or to uh, ignite the, the flammable atmosphere there. Uh, for example, if we would deal with the silo, it was in Thailand, if I remember, right? Uh, the silo with the plastic pellets, a brush charge cannot ignite the pellets dust. I, uh, I would like to, to go maybe into details later for, uh, in this point, but uh, just to, uh, the, to finish the five steps. After I uh, find what kind of electrostatic discharge might ignite the, the, uh, the material, I prepare a complete scenario of the event together with this initiator, the electrostatic ignition part. Uh, it's all based on the findings, yes, from the SCEN and the uh, findings of the physical analysis, but describing all the steps, the continuous uh, steps of the event. And uh, by uh, this scenario, uh, we can you know, try to, uh, it's like, uh, you know, true or false, to, to say about different uh, assumptions maybe that we use uh, for the scenario. And this is the time that we can make, okay, the probability of electrostatic ignition is high. We cannot put a number for this uh, it's because it's not hazard or something like that. But uh, and the, the fifth uh, step could uh, support it. The first step is preparing physical simulation in small scale of the process of ESD uh, failure that uh, might happen in the in the investigated uh, event. If, of course, if practically it's possible, uh, as I told you about the detonator, I uh, did it for a very uh, sad event that happened uh, about uh, 30 years ago in uh, oil refinery in Israel. The uh, worker uh, killed an explosion. 
and uh, we used to uh, take examples of the uh, liquids uh, using a rope and a small uh, bottle and part of the the rope I got it uh, to to test it in uh, my laboratory to see if it was conductive enough or electrostatically charged enough uh, to create uh, the ignition. And uh, such simulation gave me the, 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 uh, the possibility for a, say, hard conclusion about the, that time uh, for this event, it wasn't uh, the uh, uh, electrostatic ignition by the rope. But I found it was an ecstatic ignition by another uh, tool that he used. But the, but the governmental uh, uh, committee that investigated this uh, event focused on the war and they failed because it wasn't there. They came to me to uh, ask me for support and then I asked to check it to. To verify if their conclusion is uh, physically uh, right, and uh, so the the this physical simulation is, uh, if available, it's a very uh, important part to improve that the, the ignition is a bioelectrostatic uh, discharge, yes or not. So these are the five steps, uh, but I, uh, with your permission, I will go into the plastic uh, plant event, uh, if you like. Yeah, let me just summarize the five steps to make sure I have them here. We have um, one is to look at the equipment involved and identify what electrostatic processes would be involved. Number two is to, okay, we, we know what process are involved what kind of charges are possible and what kind of electric potential is possible. That was step two. Step three was an energetic analysis. And actually taking a step back, the type of electrostatic charges include, you know, corona, brush, discharge, propagating brush, spark uh, or um, arc, spark or arc discharge, cone discharge. So you're looking at those different types. That's step two. Step three is an energetic analysis. Okay, well, we know the equipment, we know the type of discharge that are possible how much energy can they actually release and what does that compare to the materials we're, we're looking at that ties into step four, which is your incident scenario. So this was the end of the last podcast. We now have done our comparative analysis. We have an incident scenario. We've done a gap analysis. What are we missing? And we have this idea of what the incident sequence is. So you compare the, compare the two using the two investigations and where they overlap. Can the ignition sources that are present from these type of electric discharges ignite or cause that incident that we're talking about. And then step five, which you, is a really important one, prepare a simulation or a small-scale experiment of that electrostatic event and see if it actually works. And we talked about this at the end of the last podcast episode, this Richard Feynman example from the, the O-ring from Challenger, where he's put a piece of the O-ring in, in ice water and saw how brittle it gets after you know just three or four or five minutes inside the, the, the ice water. That's a small scale simulation of, of what the O-rings would do when they're, they're um, cooled in the atmosphere as well. 
So that's a really important step. So did I miss anything in those in those five steps, Ayal? Ah, uh, no, 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 no. It's okay. Great. So then let's. Ayal talked about this plastic plant incident, and what where this was from is that at Dust Safety Science we do a lot of incident um, reporting for incident reports, and we have a database has a thousand over a thousand fires and explosions now logged in there. Um, and somebody had asked a question about grounding of the silo for this this Taiwan plastic pellet silo explosion. Um, and AL put a bunch of really you know good points in the comments for this um, post. And that's what caused us to reach out about uh, the thing the the interview today. So I think it's a really good place to jump in. So with the plastics plant explosion, then what kind of considerations would you be thinking about? We walked through the first eight steps and now on the electrostatic hazard side, uh, what considerations do you need to be looking at in terms of evaluating the electrostatic ignition sources? First of all, understanding the, the physical process of electrostatic ignition in silo filling can enable us to understand the, the hazard hidden in the polypropylene pellets. The occurrence of the explosion in the silo is, of course, an evidence for flame-backness existing in the silo. Let's look in the, at the process of electrostatic ignition. You know, as, uh, as other polymer raw materials, polypropylene pellets carry a tiny fraction of uh, polypropylene particles, the general uh, appearance of a dust. And the minimum ignition of uh, polypropylene dust is about 15 millis- millijoules. And uh, if you, we compared it with, uh, for example, uh, HMX, explosive materials, HMX needs 75 millijoules to ignite. It means that the explosive materials of, of HMX is five times less sensitive than polypropylene pellets. Maybe we use polypropylene pellets uh, as an explosive instead. <laughs> But I, 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 you know, for for people that does not familiar with this small amount of uh, energies, maybe it, uh, this uh, example will let them understand that you know uh, ordinary materials that uh, we use in the, even in our home, like sugar and uh, flour, um, might be very explosive. <laughs> In the, in, in the right conditions. This dust has uh, several, uh, I say, disadvantages. First of all, it's low efficiency. It's a raw material. The mass of it is so uh, small. So this, this dust is not a raw material. It's raw materials. And uh, the creation of flammable atmosphere is a suspension in the air. It's another uh, disadvantage. Now, the raw material manufacturers all over the world are aware of these disadvantages, and they implement uh, different measures to eliminate at least most of the the dust as the final production uh, activity that they use. They used to uh, wash it with water, uh, but uh, now I was told that uh, they do it with the, the air or something like this. But, but the, the material, the raw material, when it leaves the, uh, the plant, 
to the customer. Yeah. It's uh, in most time is very, but uh, transferring of the, the the material is mostly done uh, with by pneumatic transfer uh, system. In this system, the the pellets uh, being uh, eroded, and the uh, and the dust is created or generated again, maybe in small uh, concentration, but it's generated. So during the silo uh, filling, the the pellets are falling down, but the dust remains in the air for a while. So these pellets accumulated on the silo bottom, creating a cone-shaped heap. And uh, at the time uh, passes the suspended dust uh, down the heap and uh, on the material cone. But in the next filling operation, uh, the next filling causes the suspension of this dust layer. So with the new dust emerging uh, into the silo, the dust concentration in the space of the above the cone is uh, getting concentrated more and more. Yeah, kind of a picture drawn here of of the silo with the cone formation from the the pellets being poured from the top. Those pellets can have dust in them from the manufacturer or from attrition during pneumatic conveying breakdown of the material. You'll have dust. I believe that's very yeah, very small amount is still there from the manufacturer, and another uh, amount maybe created by the. A pneumatic transfer uh, system. But uh, the point is, okay, we have in this way or another uh, explosive uh, atmosphere there. What ignited? What ignited the, the, this uh, atmosphere? So the polypropylene pellets or another polymer uh, entering into the silo fall on the material heap. And uh, they they creating the cone, the, the, the cone. Now the pellets roll down this cone and accumulate electrostatic charge because of the friction. And that generates electrostatic discharges towards the silo uh, walls. And this uh, discharge called cone discharge. So during the, the filling of silo, uh, silo made of uh, concrete or metal, you can see the flashes of the uh, of the cone discharges and on the material cone, running from the the center to the sides, or actually opposite from the sides to the center. Especially at night, when uh, you're looking inside uh, during a filling of silo, you can see it, especially in uh, plastic uh, material pellets. Yeah. Now, in case that the energy released in the cone discharge uh, is greater than the minimum ignition energy of the polypropylene uh, dust. Yeah. An ignition, an ign the, it ignites the, the suspended dust, and, or the ignition of suspended dust is anticipated. And leading, of course, for, uh, to an explosion within the silo. I believe you know uh, Dr. Martin Glow, he worked uh, with the Swiss Safety uh, Center in, and uh, 
he developed uh, an empirical uh, formula for calculating the energy of uh, conditions. Uh, this uh, formula is based on the uh, style of the diameter and the median, the D50 of the material uh, particles. So it's uh, enabled to estimate the, uh, the energetic uh, ability of this, uh, this charge to ignite. As a summary, I can say that uh, in electrostatic risk analysis for a silo filling, yeah, we need to have a laboratory test of the dust concentration in the raw material that's coming. And the calculation of the dust uh, concentration generating, and of course, calculation of the energy of the, for the anticipated uh, cold discharge. The findings of the, this analysis uh, will point out about the probability for the electrostatic ignition. It could be or not. Depends on the comparison between the minimum ignition energy of the material. Now, what we can do for to prevent other situation, let's say with the assumption that cold discharge is not uh, completely preventable, and uh, avoiding of the danger, I say, it could be young. Uh, I mean, young uh, silo filling could be uh, based on the. I wrote to me three uh, options. Uh, that could be even uh, implementing together. I mean, reducing the velocity and the capacity of the filling of the silo. It's not all the time practic uh, practicable because uh, when uh, you know, a truck comes to uh, fill the, the silo, the driver is not going to spend the whole day or filling your silo. He wants to make it in the one or two hours and go on. Yeah, so it's, uh, but it's an option if it's, uh, especially if it's uh, an intermediate silo within the plant that, you know, you, you move within your plant, you, you move uh, the material uh, from uh, one silo to another silo. Uh, you can uh, control it. Now, implementing of uh, ground rules in the silo to create a corona discharge. And uh, I should mention that corona discharge is non-ignition uh, discharge. It's, uh, it's very rare to ignite uh, materials, especially uh, powder materials with corona discharge. So it's very safe to use it. Now, uh, another option is calculating the number of the filling operation that uh, leads to uh, flammable dust concentration in the silo and planning the filling emptying uh, operation in such a way the, to prevent the flammable uh, concentration of the dust. It means that in full emptying of the silo, most of the out uh, with the material pellets. So you emptying part or most of the dust, uh, you're taking out. 
okay, maybe you move the the problem to another equipment, but but at least it's it's not uh, in your silo. So this is uh, three options, and there are more, but uh, they are more complicated, not only more like uh, controlling the uh, humidity of the raw material when it's uh, emerging into the silo. Uh, there is a phenomena, I'll make it short, uh, just mention it. There is a phenomena that the polarity of the electrostatic charge is called by the in the raw material. Can you imagine it? Martin Glow told me that he found it and didn't believe that the, his uh, measuring uh, equipment is good <laughs> during the, the first time he found it. Yeah. So, but it's, you, you, you can't uh, uh, make the, you know, the, the right uh, uh, humidity that you will find the, the right point between the, plus uh, positive uh, discharge and the negative discharge to to make it uh, zero, you know. However, yeah, and more or less, the, this is the uh, consideration to investigate uh, explosion in a silo and uh, safety measures to prevent it. So thank you for that. I got a couple of, I want to dig into a couple of points and then I have sort of a summary. So I'll do the summary first. We talked about our five steps, evaluate the equipment, look at the type of electrostatic charges, do an energetic analysis compared to the incident scenario, and then do a small-scale test. If I kind of map that onto what we're talking about here, our equipment is a silo storing polyplastic pellets, we'll say. The type of electrostatic discharge is, is cone, where electrostatic potential between the moving pellets and the cone and the, and the walls causes electrostatic discharge. Uh, energetic analysis, this is what we're talking about. Okay, well, how much energy can that produce? And there are some uh, equations that are available. Uh, Dr. Martin Gloor and, and, and others have provided this sort of information to the community to use. So you want to compare that, how much energy can be created from this cone discharge with this material versus the minimum ignition energy of that material. A general value for, for plastic dust might be around 15 millijoules, but you really need to get tested for your, your material, your uh, moisture content, how large size, and that sort of thing. But that's your energetic analysis. What is the, how much energy can be released from this type of discharge, and what is the minimum ignition energy? And then you want to compare it to your incident scenario. That sort of circles all the way back to the first thing you were talking about, which was, okay, we have this this plastic pellets. Where's the the fuel come from? And in this case, it's generally going to be the dust from the pellets could be present beforehand or if that's taken out it could be present from the attrition while it's being used and you want to start to ask questions around well can we get that in the headspace well yeah you would expect that to sort of waft up when you're when you're filling the silo it would stick to the silo walls you'd have layers of dusty material sitting on top of the the cone on top on top of the material in the silo so you would get dust build up in that headspace you also want to kind of at this stage compare it to your other incident scenarios do we think that we had a smoldering mass come in or you know, melted pellets come in through the new conveying system compared to other scenarios there. But in terms of electrostatic, that's what you're you're looking at is okay, is this possible? And if you take those three, the scenarios plus the energy released by this type of electrostatic discharge compared to the minimum ignition energy of your material, you can say yes, this is a 
a viable ignition scenario or it's not a viable ignition scenario. Um, and then step five is this small scale testing, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. Actually, let's do that one. Let's do that one first. So the testing, what kind of testing might you be able to do for this to prove or disprove whether or not this type of cone discharge could ignite the combustible dust in this case? Can you do it at small scale? Because you kind of need a cone that's the same size as the cone that you're using, maybe. I, I'm not, it's not, I've never looked into it, but. The final answer is yes. But the validity of the uh, results, you have to carefully uh, uh, use it. it. Means you have to, when you uh, simulate the, uh, uh, the situation there, the diameter of the cone is very important. It means uh, if you look at the glow equation, it's, uh, it's 50% of the equation. <laughs> it means that, and if you look at the, at the, the situation, uh, if, the, if, if the silo is uh, two meters, uh, the, di- the diameter is two meters, and uh, you make the, the simulation on half a meter, it means that the pellets which run on the cone are running uh, for a short distance instead of the, or comparing for the, the, the big silo. And so the, not the energy, but the, charge density that you measure should be much lower. Of course, if you find that in half a meter, you got enough uh, charge density, then you can transfer it to uh, energy uh, much higher than the minimum ignition energy. Okay, so you don't have to go to the real uh, silo, but uh, this is the, the, the problem or the difficulty uh, when you are going to simulate uh, uh, this process. Yeah, most of the time, most, most of the time I use the uh, glow equation to estimate the energy. And uh, the laboratory test that I'm doing is about the concentration of the dust. And we didn't we didn't speak about you know the um, the dimension of the dust, and uh, I I think in this point uh, your knowledge and experience is much than mine. Uh, the nature of the of the dust and uh, and how how it's a. Uh, how it gets uh, ignited by uh, similar like uh, electrostatic uh, spark. So I focused in the, in, on the dust, on, t- on testing the, the, the dust uh, content and, uh, and then uh, making calculations about the concentration that could happen in the silo. And we still, uh, have to uh, to remember that when we are making calculations, it means that we are calculating the uh, the situation 
that the dust is eventually sprayed in the volume, which is not. The area of more concentrated and low concentration, and uh, because the uh, this is the nature of the spreading of the dust in this uh, volume. So I do have a question about. So we're talking about a plastic silo. What kind of electrostatic discharge? Or sorry, we're talking about a, a silo storing plastic pellets. What kind of electrostatic discharges? You know, can we rule out in this case or type of electrostatic discharges? That's like step two is is what types you get from this equipment. Can we say anything about spark or krona or brush with this material or this silo? Yeah, it could happen. Uh, no, when when we speak about uh, uh, plastic pellets within a silo, the silo itself, the, the the construction, the metal construction or concrete construction is not charged naturally. So the, the, we, we can uh, find the charge, electrostatic charge, on the material, on the plastic material. So we are dealing with uh, insulating material and that could release uh, the electrostatic energy in a certain uh, ways. The brush discharge is the most uh, uh, available way to release this uh, energy, and uh, because the uh, the spark discharge needs two conductive uh, bodies to be charged in a different, uh, not in just different uh, polarity, but different uh, amount of charge, different potentials. Uh, the propagating brush discharge needs uh, a huge uh, surface charge density to be generated, which is uh, very rare in the in the uh, silo because of the dimensions of the silo and uh, the nature of the pellets. It's uh, this this kind of uh, discharge is happened especially in the uh, plastic sheets and uh, the pellets we can say it's it's perforated <laughs> so it's it's not uh, so this this charge cannot be generated there so we excluded the spark we excluded the propagating massive charge we have the the brush discharge and the cone discharge okay the cone discharge we spoke about the the brush discharge could happen in such a way that we have a insulated charge body and if from uh, because of some reason a conductive body is entering and approaching the cone of the plastic uh, material uh, 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 brush discharge could happen. It's like uh, then if you remember the old uh, kind of uh, TV, the where the screen was uh, glass, you know, and uh, you take the, your finger and you put it uh, close to the dust, and then you hear the. This is the brush discharge. It means that the glass screen is a 
uh, insulating uh, material charged by the electronic uh, system and your finger is in conductive enough yeah, to uh, generate this uh, discharge. But if you look at the operation of a silo, the probability for a conductive body to enter into this, uh, the silo during this uh, filling operation and generate uh, this uh, brightest charge, it seems to me only by mistake of some uh, uh, worker, you know, or maybe uh, any other failure that is not part of the regular operation of the silo. So, we are staying with the condis charge as the main candle to ignite. Yeah, and I kind of want to just walk the audience through that to see what would go into evaluating these different types of electrostatic discharges because it's a it's a it takes a lot of knowledge and expertise to be able to do it, and it's totally different for this versus pneumatic conveying versus milling every piece of equipment and every even design and materials of construction are going to have a different set of possible types of electrostatic discharge. Circling all the way back to the original comment, um, and I think I know the answer now actually from listening to, to you, you talk over the last two podcast episodes, it was around grounding. Um, and the comment was, the silos are grounded. How could it be electrostatic discharge? I think with cone discharge, it doesn't matter because the groundings, the silo, that's your zero. You're still building the charge up along the cone and in the material. Is that is that correct? When I heard that the the guys that asked this question uh, on the discussion, uh, I smiled because I understand. It's a good question. Yeah. It's, how? Yeah, it, it, it's okay for him because he's uh, really far from the phenomena of electrostatics. Yeah, but for me, it it made it made me smile about it because. The, the silo, by its nature, if it, if it, of course, if it, it's made of uh, metal or concrete material, it's eventually earth. And uh, people are not aware about the uh, what it means to be earth. So I, I was asked, <laughs> I, 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 I give you a small uh, example, like a joke. I was asked to give a, a lecture to a group of uh, electrical engineers. And I was told, look, they are very experienced, experienced. They are really old engineers. So find something to, you know, make them aware of the, I say, okay, I think about something. Okay, I entered the class looked at them and say, look, you you know about uh, grounding in electrostatics. And they say, say they say, this is the this is the main I say this is the main reason for explosion, the grounding. People say, whoa grounding is the main for explosion? Yes. I say, okay, now listen, I explain you how. Oh, it was quietness. In all the class, and they were listening, and <laughs> and <laughs> what I want to say is, 
when conductor object is earth, it means that it cannot uh, accumulate electrostatic charge. And uh, if uh, any charge is transferred to this object, uh, it will flow to the earth uh, in the form of electric uh, current. This is why we say that the grounded uh, object is in uh, zero potential. Now, the, uh, the term conductive relates to electrical property and, uh, of the object. Uh, and this property enables the object to conduct uh, electrical currents uh, or electrostatic charge to its material. Uh, and this property is called what we know, electrical resistance. This is in solids and uh, in powders. In liquids, we call it electrical conductivity, which is the opposite uh, value. If the silo is made of concrete or metal or another composite material which is conductive, it means that the material itself, the, the silo construction, uh, the anything of it is preventing uh, it uh, from being uh, charged, preventing the accumulation of constant uh, electrostatic charge. Why I'm saying constant? Because even if the material within the uh, silo is uh, charged, the silo walls are not charged, but there is some uh, process uh, taking place between the silo walls and the charged material. Because uh, the, the silo walls are uh, earth and the potential uh, of uh, the walls uh, is zero, uh, there is uh, created a double uh, layer of, uh, of charge in the vicinity of the wall. The, the, the wall, it depends on the polarity of the charged material, but the wall presents the opposite uh, material on its face yeah, as a double layer uh, with the material. So when I say con uh, that it prevents the constant, uh, constant uh, charge, it means that if the uh, material will go out of the silo, the walls will, be, uh, will remain uncharged. But in the, when the material, the charged material is within the silo, there is a special condition between the walls and the material. Okay, in the, you know, similarly, everything uh, of metallic uh, other equipment like uh, scroll conveyor or elevator prevents the accumulation of electrostatic charge on this uh, uh, equipment. And uh, so the earthing is preventing the, the certain equipment from being charged, but it's not preventing the option that another charged uh, body and will discharge its charge to the earth uh, object. And this is the danger uh, when we deal with uh, uh, earth uh, objects, 
this is the the the, danger, the Azado situation. And uh, with an asylum, it's not uh, a problem because I said nobody's going to enter silo, especially in the, during filling operation. But generally, yeah, this is the Azado situation that could be with a charged uh, object and uh, with the earth object. Great. I mean, that's that was the, the first question that was asked was, okay, it's grounded. How can it be electrostatic? And then we took uh, we <laughs> we took two interviews to to get to the answer at the end of the day that it's actually it is actually electrostatic discharge because the wall of the silo is grounded, <laughs> and then there's a whole lot in between of the, there. There's the um, you know the incident investigation process, looking at what can happen. There's the electrostatic process, looking at what can happen there, matching those two up together to say is this a possibility or is it not a possibility in this type of processing operation. Any last words you want to leave folks off with for instant investigation or electrostatics AL? I know we're condensing a, a very long career down into a, a short podcast interview, but anything else you want to leave folks off with today? Yeah. Uh, regarding silos, special filling silos, you know, searches that uh, was done uh, through electrostatic measurements, it was found that uh, the cone discharge is uh, more prone to cure uh, if the silo is partially filled, especially when you fill uh, an empty silo, up to the one-third volume, this is the the area or the time of filling that uh, cone discharge is more prone to cure energetically and uh, this is uh, for example in one plant that uh, I asked to I uh, recommended them to keep the silo half full at least and because the silo was about uh, 60 cubic meter and the, and the filling was in the in the batches of uh, 30 uh, cubic uh, meter, it means that half a silo is enough to get uh, the whole uh, batch. So I told them, you, you, you benefit uh, twice from this. First of all, you will not uh, have a lack of material because at least you have enough uh, silo. Then you are far away from the hazardous area of electrostatic uh, discharge. Uh, so this is a, a practical implementation of the, the findings of the, these researchers. Now, uh, another point is the energy of the con discharge is large as the material diameter of particles uh, is large. The, the material particles are the generator of the electrostatic uh, phenomena. They are not getting, uh, they are not ignited, but they are the generator. Of course, they ignite the, 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 small, the, the small fraction of the, the same material most of the time. And uh, another factor 
about uh, energetic discharge in a silo is the, the transferring of the material into the silo. That uh, most of the time, even from truck to silo, is using the pneumatic uh, transfer system. And uh, pneumatic uh, transferring by itself is a very extreme generator for static electricity. So we have to add it to the uh, phenomena that uh, occurs uh, within the silo. So we got, in the real situation, we got uh, a concentrated energy, we say, part of it uh, by the transferring and part of it by the cone uh, rolling. And uh, together, it's a energetic uh, phenomena that uh, just uh, looks for the dust to ignite. Okay, that's it, more or less uh, the <laughs> the points that I wanted to emphasize. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it just shows how much it goes into this topic. Um, this is this is one piece of processing equipment with one type of material being stored in it. <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot that goes into evaluating these types of hazards, these types of ignition scenarios and electrostatic discharge. Um, Ayal, I appreciate you coming on the podcast again, sharing your knowledge with the community. I also want to say, you know, publicly here that I really appreciate the effort and the work you've done over the last, I don't even know, four or five decades in this field. Um, and being willing to share, being willing to, to, to work with others and, and, you know, help, help really move this forward so that we have a, a better understanding of how these type of hazards come about. I appreciate that. So thank you for your time day and thank you for the work that you've done in, in our industry overall. Thank you. I was glad to be here. And I'm sure we'll be talking again, as you mentioned uh, before the show, you make some trips over to, to North America every once in a while. So hopefully I get to see you next time you come out this way. Oh, I hope. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Thank you. We'll talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Al Setak. And we've been talking about analyzing electrostatic ignition likelihood after an explosion. So this is part two of a uh, of two interviews. The first one we talked about incident investigation. There was a eight step process that uh, that Al gave on the steps to analyzing a combustible dust or even really any generally hazard or incident that occurred. We related that to combustible dust. Um, and at the end of the day, you end up with your comparative analysis of all the data you collected and then a gap analysis of what you think happened of the incident scenario and anything that you think uh, you know supports that or, or doesn't support that in terms of the evidence. In the second interview, we talked through, okay, let's overlay that with electrostatics and use that to evaluate could electrostatic discharge in any type be the ignition source for the combustible dust incident. And we outlined a, a five-step process here. So one is to evaluate the equipment and the electrostatic processes in that equipment. Two is to evaluate what types of electrostatic discharges are possible and also what sort of electro potential and what sort of charge densities you'd be looking at there. Three is to look at your, your energetic analysis in general. So how much energy can be generated from these electrostatic discharges comparing that to how much energy does it take to ignite the, the, the flammable atmosphere that you're looking at. Um, and then you want to compare that all back to your incident investigation. Okay, well, we looked at this, we evaluated all these factors. How does this apply with what we think happened in terms of the incident? 
And then the, the last step in step five was, can you prepare a small scale or full scale, um, if it's helpful, model or simulation of the incident to evaluate, can we actually get this energy discharge that we, we say we can? Or even AL talked about it, can we get the dust concentrations in the processing equipment that we that are needed to have this incident occur? So you sort of pair these two episodes together and you get a really good overlap of how you might go about identifying um, electrostatic hazards and whether or not they're ignition sources. We jump into a couple of specific topics here, including, you know, testing. So you got to be really careful with small scale tests. Do those results scale up um, for cone discharge? If you can get, you know, a strong enough ignition at half a meter, it's it's going to be larger. The larger you, you increase the diameter of that cone, probably not even linearly, probably quadratically or even cubically. But if you are able to get that ignition area, then it's probably going to be enough at the large scale. That just shows you need to understand your tests and your models and your simulations and how they might scale up to the industrial applications. We talked about different types of electrostatic discharge in silos storing plastics, what might be a relevant type of electrostatic discharge and what you know might not be as relevant. We talked about grounding, and that was really the genesis of this interview was some discussion around grounding and the role it might have played in incidents like this. And it really highlights, again, the, the technicalities that go into electrostatic discharge, electrostatic ignition source, electrostatic hazards, um, and just the avail not the availability of information, but the knowledge base out there because it's such a technical topic is can be low in some certain areas. That's really where it's really helpful to bring somebody in like AEL or others that are experts in this area to help um, sort those things out. So then we just closed off on some points on prevention. So we talked about reducing the velocity of the the material coming into the silo as a potential option. Um, removing the dust. I mean, that'd be a, a great step as well if you can have a you know, system to remove that dust at a frequency that's going to keep it below a flammable atmosphere. We talk about changing some processing conditions. You may be able to operate with the silo more than half full at all times, which may lower your chance of cone discharge. Changing your conveying system, pneumatic conveying is one of the ways it's going to generate a large charge on the material you're conveying. So maybe you can change that to another type of conveying equipment that doesn't have such a large chance for building up charge. So we talked through all these different things. Um, I do want to say thank you again to AL, and I want to say thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast. Hope you found this interesting. Uh, we will have um, contact information for AL at this episode, dustsafetyscience.com slash 148, and the previous one, which was 147, uh, at the show notes that you can get to on the website there. And thank you again. I appreciate everything you're doing. The industry is handling combustible dust, keeping them safe for every day with the work that you're doing. 